And God added to their number daily those who were being saved. That last phrase in Acts chapter 2 is one that is filled with power and incredible beauty. As these early Christians, these very first Christians were gathered together and they were spending time devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were spending time in prayer. They were spending time in community, loving and caring for one another, and then going out into that community and sharing the good news of the gospel with those around them. God was taking all the heavy lifting, and he was bringing people into their community. He was saving people by his grace. They were seeing people baptized, and they were in awe of everything that was happening. But what's even more amazing is that it didn't stop there. But this movement that started in Acts chapter 2 kept growing. And this original group of Christians meeting together day after day after day began to spread out. And new churches began to be established and new congregations were meeting together in synagogues and in homes and even in catacombs. Christians were coming together and they were worshiping together. They were continuing this tradition and they were seeing more and more people added to their number. And they began to spread throughout the region and the world. And of course, this happened because God was doing something amazing. And what we see was happening there is these people who God was bringing into the congregation, these people that God was saving by his grace and adding to their number, they stayed around. And they grew in their faith. They began to see how God had gifted them and equipped them for ministry. And then they began to be the people who were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They became the people who were devoted to prayer and to meeting together and doing the work of the church. They became the church. Over the past several weeks, we've been going through this little mini-series that we're calling Deep and Wide. We've talked about the importance of not only sharing our faith with others, but inviting people to church. And we've recognized the importance of the local church and what we do here at Redeeming Grace Community Church and how we should want to bring other people in and see people become part of our community. But it can't stop there. We can't just invite people to come and to visit and then just hope that it sticks. But we have a responsibility, as we've seen Jesus teaching through the book of Luke, that it's our responsibility to be good stewards, not only of our finances, not only of the things that God has given us, but being good stewards of the people that God brings to visit with us, who have given their time to come and to fellowship with us and to worship with us. We're to be good friends and good church family, loving servants who care for the people that God entrusts us with and help them grow in maturity in their faith and to find a place where they belong and a place where they find family. And so we're going to be talking about what we do when people come, when people visit our church. And now if you're here and you're visiting for the first time, or maybe you've only come for a couple times, this will be admittedly a little inside baseball, a little view behind the curtain, which is awesome. But also, and thank you, by the way, for being here, but if you're visiting with us or if you've come just a few times, then this is an opportunity for you to hear what our heartbeat is as a church and who we should be as a church, and you get to hold us accountable to be that. You can make sure that we are the kind of church that loves you like Jesus loves you and welcomes you like Jesus has welcomed us, and that this really is a place where you find love, you find acceptance, you find family, and most importantly, where you find the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And so we're going to ask you, as you hear this, to hold us accountable to be that kind of church. But we're going to look at two different passages today. And this is a little different from how we normally go, but we're going to look at two passages that help teach us something about who we should be as a church and how that leads us then to be good stewards of people who visit with us and see them come from people who visit once or twice to people who know the gospel, trust in Jesus, and then continue the work that we're called to do. And so we're going to read first in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, and then in Romans chapter 15, verses 5 through 7. And so this is God's word coming from the book of Hebrews. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And then from Romans chapter 15, verses 5 through 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. And Father, we do thank you for your word. And we thank you that you love us and that you call us together. And we thank you that you gave us the church, not just our church, not just redeeming grace, but the church all over the world and throughout the ages as you call people together from all different places for one purpose, to love and worship you. And that love and worship of you then teaches us and compels us to love and to care for one another. And so, God, as we have seen over the past several weeks, the importance of sharing our faith, of sharing Christ with others, and then also of inviting people to come and to be a part of what we're doing here in our local church. God, we pray that you would add people to our number week after week and day after day, that we would see people saved and we would see people baptized, that we would see our little church grow, but that we would always be the kind of church where people come and stay because they experience your love and they find a new family. They find people who love them and care for them. But also, God, that they would find their purpose and who they are, and the gifts that you've given them, and they would become devoted to the gospel and to praying and to spending time and loving and serving other people, and then would go out and to continue that mission of being deep and wide, of sharing our faith and inviting people both wide and deep to come and be a part of what you're doing, both here at Redeeming Grace and in the kingdom of God as a whole. So speak to us through your word. Convict us where we need conviction. Encourage us where we need encouragement. Strengthen us where we need strength. And God, may you be glorified through all that happens. 
And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to look at three simple things that we need to do as a church to make sure that we are faithful and loving and caring for people who come and visit our church and become part of our church body. And strangely enough, the first two things are going to be things very specifically for us, for church members and for followers of Jesus. And then the last one will be how we go out and how we interact with people when they visit. But the first thing is both very simple and very difficult. If we're going to be the kind of church where people want to come and want to be plugged in and want to grow in their faith, we need to be here. We just have to be here. Imagine this, and maybe you've been in this situation before. If you've ever been stood up, it's not an enjoyable feeling. And this doesn't necessarily even have to be in a dating relationship, but just in any sort of friendship, relationship, meeting at all, it's an uncomfortable thing that happens. Maybe you're going to dinner, and you want to get there early because you're a punctual person. You want to be prompt. You don't want to be rude. You want to be respectful. You get there 15 minutes early. You get the table. Table for two, please. They take you. They seat you down. You get your water or Coke, whatever you're going to drink. They sit you down. They bring out a drink, and you're waiting. Five, ten minutes passes, no big deal. It's still five minutes before time we're supposed to meet. The time we're supposed to meet comes. It's okay. Sometimes people are late. Those people are rude, but it's fine. I'll just wait here and be calm. Five minutes pass, and you don't want to be that person that five minutes has passed, and you're already sending texts, and so you just kind of hang out. You just let it simmer. You let it rest. Ten minutes pass, you send that first text, but it's nice, right? Hey, I'm here. Got a table, just so you know. Come on in whenever you're ready. Another five minutes passes, no response. Your texts get a little more frantic. Your drink is kind of condensating, and all the water starts to, it's just a watered-down thing now, and there's a puddle, but you don't want to start ahead of time because you don't want them to bring you the refills because then that feels sad, and your waiter or waitress is starting to notice that you're actually alone, and this is going to be how your night's going to go, and then more time passes, and you find out that is, in fact, what's going to happen, but now you're in there because you've already got your Coke, and you're going to have to pay for it anyway, so you might as well eat, and so now the table for one, or for two is now a table for one, and they take the other menu, and it's just a very symbolic thing that happens there and you eat alone and you're just feeling all the feelings right there's a little bit of embarrassment because you had this whole thing and you the waiter clearly thinks that you have no friends now or that this date that you're supposed to be on has nothing to do with you they take the thing away you're eating by yourself people are looking at you because you're eating by yourself which is a nice thing to do if you don't do it every now and then just take yourself out to eat it's a lot of fun but if you're not planning that you can be very self-conscious about it and you're frustrated and maybe you're a little upset and maybe your feelings are a little hurt you go through a range of emotions when you get stood up Now imagine, you finally work up the courage to visit that church that your friend or your brother or this person who came through your line at the grocery store invited you to. And you've been putting it off for a few weeks or maybe in a few months because you haven't been in church in a long time or maybe ever, and it feels a little overwhelming and it feels difficult, but this morning you woke up and you thought, today's the day. I'm going to do it. And so you get up, and you walk into this unfamiliar place, and you see a bunch of unfamiliar people, and they're very friendly, but you're just looking for that one face. Maybe the person you really know, maybe the person you've only met once, but just some sort of face that helps you feel like you're in the right place so you know what to do, and you never see it. You see, when it comes to inviting people, we can talk about all the reasons why people may or may not visit a church, but the reality is an invitation to a church is a relational thing. Whether it's somebody you've known your whole life or somebody you've just met for a passing moment, when somebody visits that church, they're looking for you. 
And one of my favorite things to happen on a Sunday morning is if I meet somebody who's a visitor for the first time, and I'm like, how did you find out about us? And they're like, oh, well, I'm looking for this person. I just met her, and you know, she had kind of dirty blonde hair and glasses, and she's about this tall. Have you seen her? And then we get to play this game where we try to figure out which one of you it is, and it's a lot of fun because it's just one person, but you invited them, and they're looking for you because you're the connection that they have. It's an incredible thing, but also there's a lot of responsibility that goes into it. And there is comfort in a familiar face. And so just on a practical standpoint, if we are going to be inviting people to church, then it seems fairly obvious that it's pretty important that we would be at that church when those people come. But there's even more to church attendance than just seeing your guest. See, we live in a world, and we'll talk about this more in just a minute, but we live in a world where everything seems to revolve around our schedules now. I remember I, I grew up in a time where if you wanted to watch a TV show, you had to either read this book that came in a newspaper or you had to watch this thing that just scrolled all the time. And I'm saying words now that if you're under 22, you might not know any of those. Book, newspaper, probably paper. I'm not sure. But all these things are changing. And so if you wanted to see it, you had to make sure that you were there. And there was nothing worse than watching that TV guide thing that went through all these channels that you didn't have. But you would just watch it for what seemed like 45 minutes to see it come back to channel five to know when that show is going to come on and then you find out you're 30 minutes late you had to set your schedule around these things that you wanted to do but now everything is is very designed for us to work our hobbies our interests the things we like the things we want to do they can all be customized into our schedule and so there's this myth that church falls into that idea The church is something that we do primarily because we need it. And if church is something that we do simply because we need it, then there's some days where we wake up and we don't feel like we need it as much. Or there are things that we need more than that. Or maybe that it's a big deal, but I can work it into my schedule. And some days we wake up thinking, oh, church is really important today. Some days we might wake up and think, you know what? I've been feeling pretty good. I read my Bible a couple times this week. I listen to a podcast. I watch a sermon on TV. Church probably isn't that important for me today because I'm good. But unfortunately, that's not the crux of church attendance and why we do it. It's not simply because it's good for us, although, of course, it's good for us. When we're here, it is good to be in the house of the Lord when we get to sing and worship and God teaches us and builds us up and equips us for ministry. Of course, it's important for us. But that's not the main reason why we come to church week after week after week. In Hebrews chapter 10, we have this warning. He says, let us not neglect to meet together as the habit of some. But listen to why he says we come together. But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. As the writer of Hebrews talks about this amazing salvation that we've been given where we're able to pass into new life, where we go into salvation because of what Jesus has done for us and our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and we're washed with pure water, all these things that God does for us. He says we have those things so that we can hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering and that we can consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. This idea of meeting together is not motivated out of self-interest or self-improvement, but this idea of meeting together as the church comes because we need each other. 
Because it's our role and our responsibility to come together with the mindset of, I'm going to stir my friends and family, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm going to stir them up to good works, and I'm going to church today so that I can be an encouragement to someone else. So that I can serve other people. That's why I love that we call what we do on Sunday morning a church service. Because yes, of course, we receive something from it, but we come with the desire to give and to put something in. And one thing that we need to understand as we look at this idea that meeting together is primarily for the good of others is that you and I, we matter more than we realize. You see, a lot of times as church people, we think about and we know that we're sinners and we need the grace and mercy of God and we've got all of our flaws and we're broken and we have all these things that we talk about Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, but also all these things that the writer of Hebrews says about us are true about us that we have been saved by grace, that we have been washed clean, that we have been made new, and that we have the ability to stir one another up to good works and to love and to encourage one another. And so we matter to each other more than we could ever know. And when you're absent on a Sunday morning, you're missed not simply because we love you, although we do love you and we miss seeing you. But when we miss on a Sunday morning, we are needed. And the Bible teaches that each and every one of us have been gifted by God for a specific purpose. And we're going to talk about how God uses those things together at one time. But all of us have something that we bring to the table, both metaphorically and literally sometimes, that we bring to the table, that we bring to church, that when we aren't here, when we're not present, that is missing and there's nothing that can replace it. Each and every one of us are a crucial and important part of the body of Christ. And when we come together, and when we're all here present, worshiping God together, when we hold fast to that confession of our hope together, then we see this stuff start to happen. We start to be stirred up to good works by other people and see other people stirred up to good works by what we do. We get to encourage one another, and we start to see the body of Christ function as it really should. And what better environment is there for a visitor to walk into than a place where there are people who wake up in the morning on a day when most people have off, wake up in the morning and come to this one place with the intention not to get something for themselves, but to do something for others. With the intention to come together and to love and to serve other people. And when visitors walk in and they see all of these different people loving each other and caring for each other, there is no better environment for somebody to come into. And this creates a place where people not only want to visit, but they want to stay. Because it teaches us something countercultural. Because so much of our world and so much of our lives are built around self interest. Whether it's how we can program our schedules and the things we like to do, or the fact that you don't have to sit by the TV anymore, you can pick whatever you want to watch pretty much whenever you want to watch it. We live in a culture where flakiness, not faithfulness, is expected. But then we get to show something better. In church, we commit to be something better. We're making this declaration that the world doesn't revolve around me and my wants and my desires, but it revolves around Christ. And then because of that, my Christ who loves me unconditionally compels me to love you selflessly and unconditionally. And when we come together to each and every week, we are making this declaration that there is something bigger and something better than just what happens in my life. 
We get to do life together. We serve God together, worship together, not at our convenience, but for the good of others. And the difficult reality for us is when we look at Acts chapter 2, as we did a few weeks ago, we find out that two hours a week on a Sunday is not above and beyond. It's the bare minimum. We're not making a sacrifice when we come here on Sunday mornings for an hour and a half or two hours. In Acts chapter 2, they were meeting together daily. They were deeply invested in the lives of one another. And so when we come together at church, this is a launching point. This isn't the peak of our interaction together in our relationship. This isn't the church. This is just where we come to encourage one another and strengthen one another so that we can go out and do church work. But we do it on Sundays because this time makes this declaration that our lives revolve around the resurrection. Because that's what we come together for each and every Sunday. Every Sunday in the calendar year is a little Easter where we're reminded that on that third day, Jesus rose from the dead and guaranteed salvation to anyone who believes in him. And so when we do this week after week, we're saying to the rest of the world, everything in my life revolves around the resurrection of Jesus and around my church family. They're not just lines on an agenda but they're the center point of everything that happens in my life. And so we do need to ask ourselves the difficult question. When it comes to church, where does it fall in our list of priorities? What are we willing to miss for church? Or maybe the harder question, what are we willing to miss church for? Because we have this ability to show our visitors something different. Show a stable family that won't leave them, that won't bail on them, that prioritizes time with them, that loves them and cares for them, that will be there by their side. And not only that, but most importantly, will tell them about the gospel and stir them up to good works and encourage them when they're feeling down and feeling broken. If we want new people to be here, and I mean really be here, then we need to be here. And I mean really be here. And that's the foundation point of establishing something faithful and stable built around the gospel for the good of others. But not only is it important for us to be here, but we should be united. And in Romans chapter 15, that's what Paul is teaching us about. He says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I'm going to say something that's not going to be particularly shocking to you, but we live in a time where people are somewhat divisive. You might even say that at times people are fairly polarized and sometimes angry. And if you don't believe me, if you don't have a Facebook account, get one. And then immediately delete it because you're going to be real sad and depressed because people are really upset and angry. And it feels like we can find the smallest little things to divide over. And we're putting ourselves in groups and categories all the time. And we make these hardline stances that this is who I am and I can be no other. And if you are not here, then you are not with me. And we can have no interactions together. And this feels like a distinctly 2018 sort of thing. Because it is so much a part of what our media is driven by and what social media is driven by. But the reality is this has just always been a human condition. 
There is something inside of us in our sinful little natures that, that wires us, that hardwires us to be divisive. And it's that sort of thing that Paul is speaking about here in Romans chapter 15. His prayer for the church is that they would be in harmony. And that this harmony would come from God. He says, may the God of endurance, oh man, that's such an important word with this, endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. And I love that he uses that word because it's, it's different than unity. Because in harmony, what you have, and we heard some really beautiful harmonies during our music, and I love our band and how good they are, and we got to hear these beautiful harmonies as multiple people were singing different notes at the same time to create one chord. As we hear the piano and the, the mandolin and the guitars, we hear all these different strings playing different notes that were coming together to work in unison to make a piece of music, and they all brought something different to the table, and the result of it was something beautiful. And that's what harmony is inside of the church. Harmony is when God brings us all together and we all come from different places. We all have different experiences. We all have different gifts. We all have different personalities. We all have different strengths and weaknesses. And we all have our note to play. And God brings us together at this one time every week when we all get to play that note at the same time. And our harmony is bound by Jesus. We're taught in Scripture that we are one body because we partake in one bread, that we are one because we have one faith, one Lord, one Savior, Jesus Christ, and one baptism. We have this one thing that if you believe in Christ, no matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, you belong together, and you have something to offer everyone else that claims this one truth, and he brings us together and binds us together in harmony so that we can work together for his glory, the good of one another, and the good of our neighbors. There is unity in the diversity of the church. And it's an incredibly beautiful thing. And Paul says that we do that, that we come together and we all play our individual notes at the same time and we make this harmony so that something amazing can happen. In verse 6, he says that we would be in this harmony that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that we come together and that we do something together that we could never do alone. I think it's safe to say that the outside world has its ideas about church and Christians and what we are and what we do. A lot of those things are fairly stereotypical, but the reality is they're stereotypes that Christians and churches throughout the years have helped perpetuate. That we can be judgmental or hypocritical or that we can be closed off or closed-minded or whatever things you want to put in that box. But this, this is what church is supposed to look like. This is how the body of Christ is supposed to function. And when it does, there is nothing else like it. Because not only are we supposed to be here, but we're supposed to be here together. All of us playing our notes, all of us living in harmony, all of us with one voice giving glory to God and then going out and working together in harmony, working together in unison and doing the things that we're called to do. And there is nothing else like it in the world. 
Because this isn't a community that's driven by self-interest or personal likes or hobbies or all the other things that we use to divide ourselves up. This is a community that is connected by the God who put the universe into motion and the God who loved us so much that he gave Christ for us so that we could be in communion with him. And so when we come together and we worship together and we love each other and care for each other and serve together, it is something that is united by God and it's something supernatural and miraculous and nothing else in the world or nothing else that we could do could ever match it. All of the outreach and follow-up and all the things that we could do, that we could program, can never top the attractive, beautiful nature of a group of people coming together week after week and living in harmony in the middle of a divisive and broken world. And then another amazing thing happens when we do that. Because when we come together and people walk in the doors and they see people serving with children or singing in the band or helping things get set up or moving around and greeting people and talking with people and getting things in place and doing all the things that we do on Sunday mornings and all the things that we do during the week, when people come in and see that and they hear the notes and they see the harmony going on, they start to think, you know what? I might have a note to play too. There might be a place for me here as well. And if you're here, by the way, and you haven't found where your note fits, if you haven't found that place where you can dive in and where you can serve and you can be a part of what's going on here at Redeeming Grace, then please don't leave here without talking with me. Because you are special and gifted by God for a purpose. And if you have a gift that you want to be see used in the life of the church, we will find a place for you to serve and to play that note. And if we don't have something directly in place, then we will find something and we will make something and create something because what you have matters. And when we're all doing this together, working in one accord through Christ in harmony, we create an environment that people can come, that people can feel welcomed, and that people can plug in and begin to serve. And so we should be here, be united in harmony and accord through Jesus. And then finally, and most obviously, we need to be the love of Christ. As we've been talking through the series, we've talked about the importance of deep and wide invitations. We have these little packets in the front. If you haven't gotten one, then please grab one before you leave. They have just things to help and give you some resources to, to invite people to church and to be praying for people. And so we have a deep list where we're writing down the names of friends and family and people in our lives that we know need to come and be a part of a church that need the gospel. And we're praying for those lists and inviting those. We're learning to invite wide by meeting people and, and taking every opportunity that we see as a divine appointment and inviting people that maybe we don't even know or have never spoken to before to come and be a part of the church. Last week, we talked about the importance of prayer and how we can do all these things that we want, but if we are not praying for God to do an incredible work in the life of our church, if we're not praying for our friends and family and the people that we encounter on a daily basis, if we're not praying for our church and for our brothers and sisters in Christ, then none of this means anything at all. And now we've seen what it looks like to do church right. And then people come, and God starts to add to our number. And it's our responsibility to love them. And I love the language that Paul uses here in verse 7 as he talks about living in harmony in one accord. He says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And that should be the case both in the faces that we see week after week and the faces that we've never seen before. 
When someone comes into this church building, whether it's a church member that's been here for every minute of every second that the church has been open, then we should greet them and welcome them as Christ has welcomed us with arms open, loving them unconditionally and compassionately. And the same is true when we see someone come through our doors for the first time. We should welcome them as Christ has welcomed us and love them and care for them. When someone visits our church, they should feel loved with the love of Christ and welcomed like a long-lost family member coming home. And anything else is failure for us. If people come in and they slip through the cracks and feel like they were missed or overlooked, if people feel like they weren't cared for or welcomed, or maybe this is a nice place, but they didn't feel that connection, then we haven't done what we're supposed to do because we don't feel that way when Christ welcomes us. When Christ welcomes us, we feel welcome in a way that nothing else can make us feel welcomed, and that's how we should interact with one another and with people that visit the church. And this is more than just being a friendly church. Because that's a really important thing. You want people to leave and say, I really like the church service. It was nice, and the people were friendly. But Chick-fil-A is a friendly place. Sometimes a little too friendly. I don't know if I've told you this story before. I think i got a minute. I'm going to stop and tell you. So one time, I took the girls to Chick-fil-A, and it was just me with two girls, which is fine. I can handle that. I'm much bigger than them. It's an easy thing to do. And so I was, Lucy was still pretty small, and I was getting her a high chair, and I walk over to get the high chair, and then the a manager of this Chick-fil-A, it wasn't anywhere local, we were a good ways out, and he, he also grabs the high chair, and I pick up the high chair, and he's also picking up the high chair, and he says, oh, well, let me help you with it. I said, well, I'm good, because it's a high chair. It weighs like 18 pounds. I think I can handle it. And so I, was, I already had my hands on it. It felt awkward. And then we ended up in this really strange tug of war of kindness. <laughs> and I was like, I got it. And he's like, no, let me help you. And I said, I got it. And he said, no, let me help you. And we kind of walked it to the table together. It was really uncomfortable and strange and weird. But Chick-fil-A is a very friendly place. And that's good. And I'm fine with my experience at Chick-fil-A being that was a friendly place. But friendly doesn't take us deeper. I don't think about Chick-fil-A as my Chick-fil-A family. Maybe some of you do because you're there a lot. I find it just okay. Some of you have an issue that happens with just you drool a little bit. It's strange. But for me, Chick-fil-A is not my Chick-fil-A family. They're friendly, but it doesn't go any deeper than that. And so we could be friendly and say, hey, how are you? Nice to see you. Thanks for visiting and go on. But that's not enough. You see, it starts there. It starts with a simple hello. It starts with the basic questions, but it doesn't end there. We can ask about our, their lives. We can sit with them. We can pray for them. But we are praying that God would take this momentary encounter and make it something different, make it something deeper, make it something unique, where this person who walks into this building that we rent every single week, that they would walk in, but they wouldn't walk out the same, and our relationship would never be the same. And these are going to be people that God has placed in our lives so that we can love them and serve them and care for them and welcome them with the love of Christ. You see, this should be a place where anyone and everyone feels like when they walk through that door, they weren't welcomed by friendly faces, but they were welcomed by a God who loves them unconditionally and a Christ who gave himself up for them. And we can do that in the way that we love and interact with the people who come. And so I've got some basic, just really practical things that we can do. Just really simple, really easy things to start this pattern of, and really I should say continue this pattern of being this kind of church where people come and feel welcome, but not only feel welcome, but feel like family and stay and grow in their faith and then are sent out on mission. 
The first thing is be here, just in case you missed that one. It's important that we are here and that we meet together. But also one of the things that you can do, if possible, is be early. Because first off, it could be very awkward if you visit a church for the first time and you walk into the sanctuary and nobody's there until about 1029, and then all of a sudden the building's filled. So if you can, come early and use that time as an opportunity. There's plenty of things to do and there's plenty of things to help with, but also use that as an opportunity to pay attention when somebody comes in that maybe you don't know. Or maybe it's somebody that's visited several times, not a first-time visitor, but someone that you've never had an opportunity to really meet or interact with or spend some time or build a relationship with. And so use that time coming early to care for them and to meet them and to, to just start getting to know them in an intentional way. We also have a prayer time at 940 every morning. And so if you want to come that early, come and pray for the people who are going to be here and prepare your hearts for worship. Make it your intention every week to meet somebody new. Even in a small church, there are always going to be people that maybe you haven't met before or that you don't know really well. And so when you wake up in the morning, on a Sunday morning, think today is the day when I'm going to meet this person who came last week because I didn't get a chance to say hey to him. Or when somebody walks through the door, look at it as an opportunity to meet somebody new and to take those steps and to be faithful into introducing yourself and being a part of their lives. If you bring somebody with you, introduce your guests. This is a thing I'm not good at. Not just guests, but anybody. Sometimes I can have someone with me, even if it's my wife, who I love deeply more than anything in the world. I can be talking to somebody for 10 minutes, and they go, oh, and also, this is my wife. I'm sorry. And I do it a lot, and it's super rude, and it's super embarrassing, and so I can have that tendency with guests that come with me as well. And so introduce your guests to somebody. Give them a new point of connection. Help them ease that, that transition into knowing more people other than just yourself. Be available. I know we do a lot of things on Sunday mornings, and especially if you're serving in any of the areas that where things are happening on Sunday morning, it can be easy to be bu busy and have tunnel vision. But make sure that you're available to spend some time and talk with somebody. If you get in a conversation and you need somebody to cover for you for a minute for whatever thing you're doing, we'll get it taken care of. But be available to really spend time and get to know someone. Sit somewhere different. That's a hard thing to do in church sometimes. We get in this little thing where we get our chairs just the way we like them, and they break in, and they conform to us, and it just feels like our chair. And we just get in these patterns, and we walk to that one place. But sit somebody different. Sit with somebody new. There should never be anybody in our church building that is that's feeling like they're sitting alone or ha don't have anybody to sit with. Sit with somebody new and use that up as an opportunity to worship alongside someone and build that deeper relationship. Make plans with people. Make plans beyond Sunday morning. If you talk to somebody, you find out that you have a common interest or something, get a phone number. Just invite them to do something. Invite them over to your house for dinner. But be available not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the course of your lives. Pray for them. Miss them when they're not here. Remember their name. But also be intentional about discipleship. Focus on the fact that when someone comes here, it's not just so that they can be a part of our club, but we are given the responsibility of helping people grow in their faith. And so set up times, and we have our community groups that are amazing opportunities for that. If you're not a part of one, we have them on Sunday mornings, on Tuesday nights, on Thursday nights. There's plenty of times to get involved with those, and even on Wednesday nights with our Wednesday night service, there are times to get together and spend time in the Word, but also just be there spiritually for other people, not only praying for them, but praying with them. 
Find times to study God's word together. Ask encouraging questions. Be focused on making sure that you are stirring other people up to good works and helping them to trust in Jesus and to walk with Christ. And finally, just be yourself and love like Jesus. I know y'all. You're all wonderful. You're all amazing and beautiful people, and you have so much to offer. And so just give yourself to other people. And as you do, love them as Christ loves you. It's not rocket science. It's not overwhelmingly difficult. It just takes the faithfulness of God's people to recognize how God loves us and turn that around and do that for other people. And so we're praying that God is going to bring new people into the life of our church. And then we're going to see new faces week after week. And we're going to continue seeing that little tub outside filled as people are baptized. We're praying week after week after week. And so when they come, it's our responsibility to be faithful and loving and caring for them as Christ loves and cares for us. And praying that as God adds to our number daily those who are being saved, that through the work of our church, they would become people who are devoted to the gospel and prayer, and community, and then going out and seeking and loving and inviting other people as well. But it starts here, and it starts with us. And so let's always be committed to be that kind of church. For as long as God allows us to exist, let's be the kind of church that is going to love people the way that Christ loves us. Let's pray.